Start our reading this morning in verse 11. I'm going to read down to verse 18. However, we're probably only going to deal with uh, verses 11 through 14 this morning. We're just about done with this letter. And, uh, probably got another couple of weeks at least uh, in here. Galatians chapter 6. Starting in verse 11, the Word of God says, See how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. For henceforth let no man trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right, brethren, we're going to uh, look here at verses 11 down through 14. Lord willing, sorry about my phone, I forgot to turn it off. Uh, we're going to look here at verses 11 through 14 today and see how far we get. Um, we may uh, pick back up with this again maybe next week if I don't get through. Uh, but I want to save the last part, uh, verses 15 through uh, uh, 18, for a, a, a separate dealing uh, because uh, there's some pretty rich things to talk about in there, and I know that I wouldn't be able to get that all in in one one day, in one message. <coughs> it says, See how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Now, Paul is kind of going into what we would call a benediction. He's going into the closing of his letter, right? kind of the sign-off, you know, kind of like the P.S., and then here's the sign, you know, yours truly, Michael Smith, or, you know, best regards, Michael Smith, or God bless Michael Smith, or something like that, you know, like how you would a letter. Well, he's going into this benediction. <coughs> a lot of times I've found uh, we often skip the introductions to these letters, and we skip the benediction of these letters because it's like, well, it's just Paul saying hello and Paul saying goodbye. And there isn't nothing rich to glean from that. Remember, brethren, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that every jot, every tittle has been in, in, inspired by God, that every bit of this is uh, profitable to us. And there's some things that we can learn, principles that we can learn, uh, even doctrinal things that we can learn through even the benedictions and the salutations, the, the greetings and the endings. Uh, so we don't want to uh, skip over these things. Uh, I know we, we can get in the habit of doing that because we want to get into the meaty part of, of what's being written here. But we can find out a lot of truth <clears throat> because of what is said in some of these areas. And verses 11 down through 18 is, is definitely one of these benedictions that is chock full of things that we can glean 
that is uh, very rich uh, for our understanding if the Holy Spirit would give us that revelation of it. Um, now, if you remember, last week we uh, we looked at the uh, <clears throat> passages verses 6 through 10, and we've seen that that doesn't necessarily, as most people preach it, and I've preached it before, and there is some... Yes, please. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm trying to get that out from my <laughs> coffee, but it ain't going away. We saw last week, the Bible says... Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. And I mentioned to you last week that while there may be some uh, place in there to teach about those who are being taught are to uh, take care of those who are the teachers as far as uh, helping out with anything material that they might need and everything, that I think that the main thrust of this passage of Scripture was speaking on a spiritual level. That we communicate with each other uh, the things that the Lord is teaching us by the person who has been teaching. Yes, the Lord is confirming these things. Uh, I, I posted a, uh, a quote by uh, uh, Elder C.C. C. Morris this week. Uh, I read, was reading some things uh, from him several years ago and uh, had wrote this uh, quote down. And uh, I think it's still true today. Uh, the way that it hit me back then, the, he said that uh, whenever we preach and convey the scriptures, the gospel, whenever we preach and convey those things, apologetics, which is basically you know defending the faith, uh, kind of what that's talking about. Uh, whenever we do those things, whenever we talk and preach and, and, and apologetically teach the word of God, and whenever we say apologetically, we don't mean, I'm sorry, that's not what that word means. The word apologetic means, again, a defense or, or a, a, a approving of the faith. Um, whenever we preach and teach these things, it isn't so much to convince or to convert the unbeliever as much as it is to confirm the believer. And so what Paul is saying in uh, verse 6 is those who are being confirmed the truth by the one teaching ought to communicate with the one teaching what the Lord is teaching them by the Holy Spirit and that, yes, that confirmation of truth and that we hear that and, and that we're learning and that we are agreeing and that we are in unity in that. Uh, I've had a, a couple of brothers here recently. matter of fact, I had one just yesterday who uh, contacted me, a guy that I didn't even know. Um, had happened to come across some stuff uh, from the church, or either from the church or from my Facebook, uh, and just reached out and communicated. Said, "Hey, I want to say thank you. Appreciate your, uh, you know, continuance in the gospel. Your preaching of the gospel. Your uh, defense of the faith of these things. I want to thank you for that because it truly is, uh, you know, a blessing his heart that he is uh, believing the same things and and things such as that." What was he doing? He's doing just exactly what Paul was, was saying here. Communicate with those who are teaching. Uh, 
these days we are bearing each other's burdens. Hey, I know that the that the weight of the law is on me, and that to preach the gospel of free grace, to preach the message of Christ alone for salvation, is going to come at a cost to many people. And that whenever that person preaches and teaches uh, a, a message of Christ alone without any kind of self righteous acts or works that whenever you preach that, that you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be categorized by people and put into all kinds of different groups. And so the people that believe those things and see those things, they communicate back to those who are teaching them for encouragement so that we, by one another, we edify ourselves, and instead of devouring ourselves and nitpicking ourselves together, we're building each other up and not tearing each other down. And that's what Paul has basically been talking about here in chapter 6, is that we are to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of God. We are to work in love by serving one another in love. We serve each other. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. And it says here, whenever we are, are, are being um, blessed, or whenever we are being edified, being built up in the faith by those who are teaching these things, that we should communicate with them, and that whenever we sow to spiritual things, we're going to reap spiritual things. And so he's encouraging these brethren. He said, listen, these Judaizers have come in and they've supplanted the gospel. They've come in and they've undermined me. At the very beginning, you were very receptive of this gospel. You were very receptive uh, of what Christ had taught, what Christ had done. You've seen that salvation was not anything that had to do with your works or your acceptance or your performance or anything like that. And you received me as the messenger of Christ. You received me and you were happy to hear these words and, 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 and we had great fellowship. And then all of a sudden these men come down and they surplant the gospel. They bewitched you with their, uh, with their works, the self-righteousness that, that it just, it, it, it speaks to the flesh, and the flesh just loves to hear messages about what do I need to do. And that's that's what we like to hear, because we can pat ourselves on the back if we keep that. And the preacher who preaches those things, if he gets converts who can follow what he's telling them to do, and they're walking in line according to what he says, he can pat himself on the back for gathering all these people and setting them straight and keeping them in the straight and narrow. And they can pat him on the back for being such a good preacher to teach them what they need to do and tell them how they ought to be and all these kind of things. And so Paul here is saying, listen, all this is happening <laughs> and that's not what the gospel is all about. The gospel is not about self-building. It's about Christ-building. Christ is the center of everything. And whenever you take a gospel that says that you have to maintain a righteousness or keep a righteousness for acceptance with God or keeping with God, that is not the gospel. That is looking away from Christ and it's looking to yourself. It is a worse gospel no matter how you want to spread it, no matter how you want to uh, convey it. It's a works gospel. And so he said that is not a gospel. You remember back at the beginning of this letter, he said, anybody that preaches another gospel is not a servant of Christ, that, that, that let them be a curse, because it is not a gospel. It's not the gospel. And so here he says, if you're going to sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. If you're going to sow a ministry into teaching people about working things out in the flesh, you're going to reap people working things out in the flesh. And therefore, when people work in the flesh... 
they're going to fail because the flesh profits nothing. And those who are looking for fleshly works and those who are expecting fleshly works, what are they going to do? They're going to be upset. They're going to be let down. They're going to be discouraged. They're going to be uh, 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 irritated at each other. They're going to be devouring each other because what are they going to do? You should be doing more. You should be doing more. How come you're not acting right? How come you're not doing right? How come you're doing this? How come you're allowing this in your church? How come you're allowing that in your church? How come you're singing those songs and those songs? Now, is there a right and wrong? Yeah, brethren, there is some stuff. But there's also a learning factor. There's a growing factor. There's some, there's some, there's some leeway and long-suffering and meekness and gentleness that we need to be given each other in these things as the Spirit teaches us and brings us out of these things. Remember, a lot of us has come from underneath a, a, a lifetime of indoctrination in some kind of a religious Christianity that is not a biblical Christianity. And a lot of us have to unlearn a lot of the things that we have learned. And by the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, we can't tell Him, speed it up, Chuck. We can't tell Him to go any faster. He goes at His predestined time. We ought to be a lot of, a lot more long-suffering. Matter of fact, Paul said that in verse 1 of chapter 6. Brethren, if any man be overtaken and fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Problem today is there's so many that want to tell other people how they ought to be, and they don't consider themselves because they don't feel themselves even capable of being tempted. But Paul says here that those who who sow to the flesh will reap corruption, and those who sow to the spirit shall reap life everlasting. He's saying, let's reap in those things which are spiritual, not in those things that are... Let's sow to those things that are spiritual. We're to sow into the things of pointing others to trust in Christ, to believe in Christ, to rest in His finished work, to rest in His obedience to God, that His obedience to the law and keeping all the law for you, rest in that. Not get out your law book and get out there and start trying to be more holy. Now, brethren, listen. We don't have to worry about the child of grace and the work of the inward spirit in us bringing out that whatever he wants to work in us. Okay? That's not my job to work that out in you. That's not your job to work it out in me. Matter of fact, that's a lot of what Paul was saying whenever he said, Bear ye one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then uh, uh, later down he says, uh, Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself, not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. See, Paul's basically saying, Listen, it's my burden to bear your burden, but it's not your burden to expect me to bear your burden. Okay? It's not your job to expect me to bear your burden. It's your job to bear my burden and others' burden and to look to Christ, and it's my job to bear your burden, so we're bearing one another's burdens, but I don't have a place to expect you to do that. I'm to bear my own burden. My thought is, I bear my own burden, and I'm to bear your, help bear your burden. But I never have an expectation of, hey, you should be doing what I, you should be helping me. It's your problem. It's your fault. You should be preaching better. 
You should be encouraging me. You should be doing this. I don't know how many times I've got up here uh, to this uh, pulpit uh, and preached, and whenever I get up to preach, I feel I feel uh, worthless. I feel weak. I feel uh, inadequate. I feel like I'm not ready. I feel like I don't have anything to say. I, I get up here a lot of times. I don't have anything in my mind to say. I get up here, look at the verses that the Lord's laid on my heart for this week, and pray that the Lord would just give me some words to say. I don't look around and say, well, hey, nobody's encouraging me. Nobody's calling me and helping me. I don't have any preacher friends that's trying to encourage me. I don't go around and just whine about all those things. I don't expect that. That's not... I bear my own burden. I don't expect others to bear their my burden for me. But yet, the Bible tells us that we are to bear each other's burdens, our failings, our falters, uh, to help each other in these times. And as I said, I don't think it just means uh, 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 in our uh, weaknesses, but in our faults. As it says here, whenever we're missing the mark, whenever we're not. Because he said here, those who are uh, overtaken in a fault, someone who's overtaken in a fault. So it has to do with sin, yes. It has to do with weakness, yes. It has to do with burdens in general, yes. What's the What's the point here? A church, brethren, the sheep that are gathered together here is to be in unity. They are to be looking out for each other. They are to be watching each other. And these men have come down into the sheep pen and began to divide people. They came down to divide them from Paul. They came down to divide the people that was in those churches against themselves because we've seen there were some who were spiritual and some who had been overtaken in a fault. And so within churches, within the church, there can rise up divisions. And these divisions have to take place. The Bible said that that heresies must come, divisions must come. Why? So that it might prove who are the people of God. That it might prove. That it might bring it forth like like whenever you uh, whenever you refine uh, uh, something in the fire and it boils off the dross and it leaves the purity there. What happens whenever we have this uh, uh, this uh, uh, division and these things that take place within the churches? It proves those who are spiritual. It proves those who are the people of God. It proves those who are truly His. And here Paul is saying, listen, a church, whenever it gets together, it is to be in unity. It is to love one another, to serve one another, to worship together, to worship Christ uh, as one body. And whenever we have divisions, whenever we have false teaching, whenever we have false teachers come into the church and begin to divide the church, then we have chaos going on. We don't have unity. We have disunity. And so he's encouraging us to bear with one another and not cut each other off, not not point the finger. But one of the reasons that start these divisions is improper doctrine, improper gospel. If we get away from the gospel, then everything else is going to start having its issues as well. And so he says here, let us not... Be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen, it's hard. Life in a church is hard. Dealing with other people is hard because we're all sinners. We all still have the flesh. We have not been made perfect in the flesh. 
And so we're going to continue to have problems. I'm going to be an irritation to you. And you're probably going to be an irritation to me at some point. And there's going to be sometimes, uh, you know, I'd like to poke you in the eye and tell you to go away. And you're probably going to do the same thing to me. You're going to kick me in the rear end and say, get out. But we're to bear with one another and we're not to grow weary in spiritual things. So he says here, as we have therefore opportunity, let's do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We ought to do good to all the brothers in Christ, especially those in the congregation that the Lord has brought us to. Our responsibility, first and foremost, as a church, is here among our brethren. And as we have opportunity, we can reach out to other brethren and do good unto them. Now, in verse 11, Paul, like I said, begins his benediction. And this benediction isn't divorced from what all he said in the past. It has a lot of bearing on what he had been talking about. He's kind of going to sum up some of the things that he has said. Now, he says here in verse 11, See how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. Now, I'm not going to spend long on this, but just to bear this out, because it might sound weird. Why did Paul say that? Well, Paul often, whenever he wrote a letter, had somebody actually do the writing of the letter for him. He dictated, they wrote. Uh, we know that this is the case uh, in Romans, uh, that he had uh, 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 Tertius uh, write the letter for him, and but Paul, in every letter, signed off on it at the very end himself, he was the one that dictated. The Holy Spirit is the one that gave him the words to say for the dictation. But sometimes he had people. But here in this letter, Paul wrote it by his own hand. So that's why Paul's saying that. It isn't some just weird thing out of nowhere. Why did Paul say that? But this happened. This actually happened in the Old Testament too in Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah spoke and had a guy that would write that down for him. And so there was actually two people involved in the letter itself. But uh, it was Jeremiah who was the prophet. It was Paul who was the apostle. It was Paul, the one who God was speaking these things to for him to have written down. It's just that Paul had somebody actually write it down uh, for him uh, with with their own hand and pen. But Paul did take care of all that. But let's look at verse 12. It said, As many as desire to make fair show in the flesh... They constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now let's look at what Paul's dealing with here. He says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. Now who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about those Judaizers, right? He's going back and talking about those Judaizers who uh, had come in and began to tell them that they needed to be circumcised. Let's go back to uh, chapter 1. Look at verse 6. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach another gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? Now here, that's the key. Whenever you, whenever you preach a gospel that takes away the offense of the cross, 
whenever you preach a gospel that takes away the sovereignty of God, the predestinating nature of election and, 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 and redemption, that God before the foundation of the world chose a people, that God before the foundation chose a people to be saved and a, a, a chose a people not to be saved. That before the foundation of the world, God chose a Savior who would come and save them. That God before the foundation of the world predestinated everything that would take place to bring to be everything that God wanted to take place for His glory in this time period. Whenever you start preaching those things, it's offensive to people. Whenever you tell them you're not saved by your choosing. You didn't choose by your free will to be saved. That's an offense. The cross is now an offense to them. Whenever you preach the cross, biblically, you're going to preach election. You're going to preach predestination. You're going to preach sovereignty. You're going to preach no free will. You're going to preach that there is no law but grace. That there is no works. There is no self-righteousness. That it is all objective from outside of you. That salvation has absolutely nothing to do with what you do, but everything of what Christ has done. Okay? That salvation is an objective thing, not a subjective thing. It's not subjective to whether I choose it or reject it. Salvation is not subjective to my understanding of it or my fully embracing everything that there is to know about it. It has nothing to do with my acceptance or rejection. It has nothing to do with how much knowledge of it that I have. Salvation is of the Lord. It's by the Lord. It's for the Lord. So salvation in all of its aspects, in every part, in every way, is dependent upon the work of Christ alone. Whether that is the eternal legal aspect of it, or whether that is the temporal experience of it, it still was predestinated before the foundation of the world. It still is carried out by Christ alone. How does that happen? The eternal legal aspect of it is Christ is our substitute. He died in our place. He lived in our place. All that is considered our work. And it is laid to our account. We didn't do it. We're not involved in it. We weren't there. Our bodies don't do any actions. Jesus' body did the action. Jesus was the one who was faithful. Jesus is the one who was righteous. Jesus is the one who died. I didn't die. Christ died. Jesus didn't. I didn't go down into the grave. Jesus went down into the grave. But everything that Jesus did, whether it was His perfect life that He lived according to the law, whether it was His death and the condemnation of sin that was upon Him, He didn't do it. He did it for us. So I was there in Him. Whenever He went into the grave, it was me that was in Him. Whenever He rose from the grave, I was in Him. Therefore, that was to my account. So substitutionary death substitutionary obedience, that is what's counted for me legally in the eyes and the courtroom of God. The justice of God has said it's finished. The, just, uh, the, the, the justice of God in that courtroom says that these elect of God are all holy and righteous. The Bible calls us saints. But the experiential portion of salvation... 
what we actually as the people of God experience is the conversion of the mind and the heart to believe what the Bible says about us and about salvation. Where God turns the mind. That doesn't happen by ourselves. It isn't because I keep teaching you and keep teaching you and my teaching gets better. My words and my formulation of my sermons become so good that it entices you and brings you in or it, or it enlightens your mind to where you say, hey, that guy's right. Man, that right there is, is, a, is the best defense. So therefore, I can't find anything wrong with it. It must be true. No, it's not true because of the way that we formulate the words or present the words or deliver the words. It's not true because that is true because it's true. And the only reason you know it's true is because the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that that's the truth. That doesn't come by the preacher. That doesn't come by the listener. It isn't subjective. It's objective. Christ converted you. So your even experiential temporal understanding of things or your this walk of Christianity, this life of Christianity in time, even that in itself is not from you. It's not subjective to what you do. Once we're converted and our mind has been changed and it is now believing upon Christ and looking to Christ and saying, my hope is Christ. I'm, my salvation is in Him. That there's nothing that I do. Now my daily walk. How do I walk daily? The things that I do and the things that I don't do. As Paul said, the things I want to do, the things that I don't want to do. How is that determined? Is that determined subjectively by what I do and not do? Absolutely not. That too is because of Christ. The Bible says that Christ has given us a measure of faith. That Christ is in us to will and to do His good pleasure. The Bible says that it is He that will keep us from falling, but that it is also that He that is the one who turns the heart whichever way He desires it to go. It is He the one who is walking, and the man may determine His steps, I mean, uh, may uh, plan His steps, but God's the one who directs His paths, directs His feet. God's the one who tells Him where to go and what to do. God's the one who either gives Him grace to restrain from sin, or withholds His grace. And the man falls into sin and experiences the, the flesh and experiences the inability of him so that he might learn Christ more. That too is not controlled by me. It's controlled by Christ. It has everything to do with Christ. My, my stick-to-itness, my perseverance... My longevity, my walk, my staying in the faith, my activity from the time that I'm converted until the time that I die, that's not determined by me either. That's determined by Christ. He that has begun a good work in you will carry it out till the day of the Lord, till the day of Christ, till He comes again. So that isn't determined by me either. It's not subjective to whether I do more good works or do less good works. It's not subjective to how much I read this Bible or don't read this Bible. Now, I encourage you, read your Bible. It's profitable for you. I encourage you to do those things that the principles of this Scripture tells us to do because it's good for us to do those things. It's profitable for us to do that. But brethren, if I read more, I'm not going to be more holy. If I read less, I'm not going to be less holy before God. 
And I'm not going to lose my salvation if I sin. Now, I'm not telling you to go sin. That's okay to sin. So don't get, get that idea. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, is whether it's the legal aspect or the experiential aspect of our salvation, Christ controls every bit of it. Christ is the one who is controlling it all. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Whether it be the faith once delivered to the saint, so now we have the faith once delivered to the saint, the body of doctrine, he's the author and the finisher of that. It's not man. Whether it's the faith that has been given to us to trust in him and what he has done, he's the author of it, he's the finisher of it. Whether or not it's the faith that justified us before God, which was His life, His righteousness, His faithfulness to the law, He's the author and finisher of that as well. Christ is all in all. So it says here, as many as desire to have a fair show in the flesh, Paul here is saying, listen, there are those who have come in who have divided your church and they're trying to preach that there is a righteousness that you have to keep before God whenever you keep these laws. And he said, listen, these are people who, look at it, desire to make a fair show in the flesh. Now notice he says there, a fair show in the flesh. He says, those who have a fair show in the flesh. Notice that he doesn't say a perfect show in the flesh or even a correct show in the flesh. He says, many desire to make a fair show in the flesh. By the way, these people who want to make a show in the flesh, they want to outwardly show their righteousness by what they do. That's what these guys were saying. Hey, you need to keep the law of Moses. You can't, you can't, you can't be right with God, continue in, in righteousness before God, if you don't keep these laws. If you don't keep these laws, that shows outwardly that you're not a child of God. But if you keep these laws, that will outwardly show that you are a child of God. Salvation isn't nothing about what we do outwardly in the flesh. And they wanted to make a show in the flesh, and they desired to make this show in the flesh. But brethren, listen, the Bible says that nobody is keeping the law. This, these men are not keeping the law. Matter of fact, look at verse 13. He even says that. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. These men who are circumcising themselves to keep the law of Moses is not keeping the law. So even if they would keep that law, they're not keeping the law. So if a preacher's up here and he, he gives you a list of these are the things you've got to do to be right before God, if you do all those things that right there, guess what? That's not keeping the law. Remember, what's keeping the law? Keeping every law always and never breaking. That's keeping the law. The law isn't keeping number one, number three, number five, number ten. That's not keeping the law. You're not keeping the law by doing that. 
Keeping the law is number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, number eight, blah, 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 700, 800, 10,000, however many there is. That's keeping the law. You have to keep every one of them. Because the law isn't broken up into this portion, this portion, this portion. It's all one thing. God says you either keep it or you don't keep it. It's not a partial keeping. And these men who are doing this, they think they're keeping the law by keeping some of these things. And they're not. No one can keep the law. Besides, anything that's done in the flesh is sin. Them keeping those laws in the flesh is sin. It's corrupted by our flesh. It is not acceptable to God. And so he's saying here, and I probably almost say he's probably saying this in a sarcastic or or a laughing jest. Listen, these guys here, they're making a fair show in the flesh. And they constrain you to be circumcised. But look what it says at the end of verse 12. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross. The only reason they're preaching this is because if they preach what I preach, they're going to suffer persecution for that. Matter of fact, if you remember back, uh, Paul, I think it was back in, uh, was it back in 5, chapter 5? Verse it was in, but Paul. Remember, Paul said, "You know, uh, I uh, I have been persecuted because of this. It, it, you know, if I was preaching the message that they're saying that I'm preaching, then why am I suffering persecution? Why am I suffering persecution? Now, if you remember, Paul counted all these things that these men were talking about. This fair show in the flesh. What did Paul call it?" He calls it dumb. Turn with me if you would to Philippians chapter 3. Start verse 1. Remember, these men are trying to make them make a fair show in the flesh. Hey, at least try try your best to make a fair show in the flesh. You know? Give, give, a, good, give a good opportunity or uh, give a give a good try here at least you know you're not going to be able to keep it perfect but at, at least try to try to do what you can well again you're not accomplishing righteousness by doing that now that doesn't mean that our desire in our heart is not to do that and we try to live by these principles in scripture the best that we can but brethren to think that we are either uh, gaining or falling behind in righteousness before God because we keep it or don't keep it, that is not what the, the Scriptures say. But look here, verse verse 1 of Philippians 3. It says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. There's that word, those who preach uh, circumcision. Okay, Beware of the, the ones who are preaching the law. That's basically what the word concision was a reference to those who are preaching the law. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the circumcision, or the concision. 
He says, For we are the circumcision. We are the law keepers which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul's saying, those who are saying to, to make a fair show in the flesh, keep doing this stuff, and they're doing this so that they might make a fair show in the flesh. Paul's saying, listen, the real true circumcision, the true people who are keeping the law, who are living by the law, are not the ones who are doing it outwardly in the flesh, but the ones who in the Spirit are, are looking at the law, are following the law of Christ. The ones who are the law keepers, the ones who are the true concision, are the ones who worship God in the Spirit. Not by the works of the flesh. And so many people, it's just the opposite. They really don't worship God in the heart. They don't worship God in the heart. They don't look to Christ. They don't rejoice in sovereign grace. They may have, might even acknowledge sovereign grace. Most of them don't, but they may even acknowledge sovereign grace. But yet that's not the heart of, of the matter for them. The heart of the matter for them is how do I look to everybody else? Am I making a fair showing in the flesh? Am I proving my salvation by my outward works? And Paul here says, listen, the true circumcision... The ones who worship God in spirit and in truth are the ones who worship in the spirit and rejoice in Christ. These men were rejoicing in those who were keeping the concision. Their rejoicing was in others following their list of commands and, and duties. But our rejoicing is in those who have no confidence in the flesh. Listen, brethren, do I like it whenever men act right? Yeah, that's nice. I don't like to be hit in the face. Be kind one to another. That's a good That's a good principle of Scripture. Thou shalt not kill. That's a great principle of Scripture, right? That's a great law that God gives uh, and everything. But listen, it's good because I don't like to die. I don't want to I don't want to be killed. A lot of those things are great principles to live by. But it's not what makes us righteous before God. It's good to live by them because they're good for us. But listen, I rejoice more over somebody who has been given to see and to believe that it doesn't matter how hard I try, I never can perform a righteousness before God. But Christ has done it for me, and I'm just I'm, my hope is in Him. My hope is in Christ alone, and I look to Christ alone, and I believe Him. I believe that He said that that's enough. What He did was enough for my salvation. And I believe that, and the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am His, and that every promise that He has made to His people that 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 promise is as much as mine as it is anybody else's that Christ died for. Listen, we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in my flesh. I have no confidence that I can keep up a righteousness before God. I have no confidence that I can become more holy before the end of my lifetime. 
I have no confidence that these laws that God has given me, that I can perform them in such a way that the Lord is going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, well done for doing all those good things. I have no confidence that my flesh can attain those things. And I have no no confidence that your flesh can do those things. And as a pastor and preacher of the gospel... I have no confidence that you can do that. Therefore, my job, and I don't mean that in a job job, my place as a pastor and a preacher of the gospel is not to encourage you in law keeping, but encourage you in looking unto Christ Jesus. Of preaching the gospel, not preaching Moses. But look what he says there. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man, other man, thinketh that he hath, whereof he might as trust in the flesh, I more. He said, If it did come down to things in the flesh, he said, Listen to this. I probably can boast about that better than anybody can. (coughs) He said, I was circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Listen, I was so zealous for the law of God that I was out killing those people who were doing things contrary to what we thought the law was about. I was out there doing it. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So as far, as far as Paul was concerned, he was keeping all those laws. I thought He thought he was keeping all the law of Moses. But look what he said. But what things were gained to me, all that religious life, all of that hard work to keep the law of God, all that zeal for God, what does he say? I count it loss for Christ. He said, I did all that stuff, but I never gained Christ. He said, I gained a religiousness, but I never gained Christ by doing that. You can never gain Christ by works in the flesh. You can never gain Christ by your own self-righteousness. Paul was saying, listen, I was the most righteous among all of them. And he said, but in all of that righteousness, and I had zeal, brother. Listen, brother, we know brothers and sisters. We know aunts and uncles. We know mamas and daddies. We know grandmas and grandpas. We know friends and neighbors who have a great zeal for God, but if they have not believed on Christ alone for their salvation, that it had nothing to do with them, and that they're not kept in this faith by what they do, and that there is that they are producing an outward righteousness of their own. If they're not believing these things, they are not believing Christ rightly. They are not believing the gospel. 
And therefore, if they are not believing the gospel, if they are not believing on Christ, if they are believing in the works of the law, if they are believing in the works of the flesh, if they think that they have a zeal for God, and because of their zeal and their efforts for God, that shows that they have been saved and are keep being saved, then that right there is another gospel. And therefore, they are not a believer. At least at this point, they're not a believer. At one time, they might become a believer, but they're not a believer now. They're believing something else, just like Paul said. And if they continue in that course of unbelief in those false gospel, in that false gospel or false gospels, if they continue in that belief, he said, let them be accursed. They're not a servant of Christ. And Paul says here, listen, I was following in that. I had the zeal. I had the works. I had the law. I had everything. I was following everything to the the iota. But he said, I never gained Christ out of all of that. He said, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, listen, whenever the Lord revealed His Son in me, I count everything, everything, everything as lost. Everything that this flesh is going to ever experience in this life, I count it all lost except for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The only thing that is not lost is what Christ has done. Everything else is temporal and it's lost. Everything else is temporal and it will burn up. Listen, all your good deeds that you do in the flesh, they're going to burn up. The only thing that's going to be anything is what the Spirit of God has done in our spirit. The only thing that is of of any value that is lasting in eternity is what Christ is and what Christ has done. So often we get so caught up in all these things and the Judaizers keep barking at us to keep the law. And you have to keep the, if you're a Christian and you don't keep the law, so you just want to live the way you want to live. No, that's not what we're saying. The love of Christ is constraining us. You have more, you have more confidence in your flesh to keep yourselves from sin by keeping the law than you do on the Holy Spirit of putting in the heart of somebody, don't do that, don't do this. The Holy Spirit can do all that work. That's, that's His job. Just to constrain us. That's His job is to, to grant us repentance and to bring us to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit's job to, to work in us and to, and to, uh, 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 do His good pleasure through us. It's His job. Ours. Paul says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. He said, Listen, I count everything as loss. He said, Matter of fact, all those things that I did. All they amount to is a pile of poop. He said, it's just a pile of poop. He said, I count them, but dumb. 
I don't even look at them as anything that is acceptable. How many of y'all would like to say we've not we don't have cats. We used to have cats, but we we don't have cats anymore. But a cat has a litter box, and a cat goes in its litter box. What do you do? Do you just leave it in the litter box? Do you gather around with everybody whenever you have somebody come over to your house? Do you gather around a little bit? Hey, look what Fifi did! Look at that one! That's a big one! Good job, Fifi! Oh, you covered it up so well. Do we sit around and look at turds and just say how great they are? Do we take them out, present them to all the people? Say, look! Do we go out and pick up our dog? And say, what a great job you did there, Wookie. Goodness gracious. Do I take that thing and, and cover it with gold and put it on a little plaque and set it on my shelf? Look what Wookie did. Then why do we parade around our sinful fleshly works as though they were something acceptable to God? See, that's what, Paul is, that's what Paul is trying to convey here. He said whenever we take our religious fleshly activities and try to present them as something that's even acceptable to God and something that should be an encouragement to everybody else, whenever we put that up to everybody else and say, hey, listen, you try to live up to this. Look what I did. You try to get up here. Now you'll have you a turn to lift up. Paul's saying, listen, it's might as well be lifting up down. Because he said that is not acceptable to God. He said he counted everything as loss and that it is all done that he might win Christ. And look at verse 9. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law. So Paul is saying what I'm looking to, what it means to be found in Christ, that I might win Christ, that I might know Christ, what does that mean? Me not having my own righteousness and being found in Him and having a righteousness that's not my own, but a righteousness which is not of the law, but is a righteousness that is from Christ. That which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That's what Paul says that we should strive for. Look to. We strive to know nothing else but Christ. Preacher, why are you getting so wound up about that? Because that's the very point of verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save, or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to sit up here and glory in how much Mike does. I'm not going to sit here and glory in how much you do. Now, we like to be encouraged, and I'm, I'm going to say, we ought to encourage one another. We ought to encourage each other. Because in our flesh, we do get depressed. We do get down. We do get our feelings bunched up and, and hurt. Okay? We do have those problems, and we ought to encourage one another. The Bible even says that we ought to encourage each other in the faith, that we are, that we ought to, uh, uh, that we ought to, uh, 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 push each other in the things of God and, uh, and, and those things. I'm not saying not do that. 
But listen, if your whole performance is based upon whether or not you get the accolades or not, or whether or not someone's always patting you on the back and telling you how good you're doing, or whether or not you're even being acknowledged as being doing good. Hey, listen, I've been a pastor now here since 2017, and it's not always been a bed of roses. You guys have not always been a bed of roses. I know I've not been a bed of roses. You guys have not been a bed of roses either. And sometimes... Somebody wants a little pat on the back, a little acknowledgement for what they have done. Well, that's just the flesh wanting to be recognized. That's why it goes back to bear you one another's burdens, but each man will bear his own burdens. Listen, we ought to do that towards each other, but don't expect it. It's not your place to expect it. Don't expect law keeping from everybody else because we're all sinners. But bear one another's burdens. Go alongside of that brother. Encourage that brother. Don't hit him over the head. Don't be impatient with him. Don't kick him out just because of one instance or something like that. Long-suffering in the spirit of meekness. That's what it says verse 1. But what does he say here? He says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's my message going to be? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's my encouragement going to be? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Tell unto my people. Tell tell them what the Lord has done. That their sin has been taken and, 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 and has been completely done away with. That Christ has fulfilled everything on their behalf. We comfort each other with the gospel. With what Christ has done. We don't comfort each other by keep the law. Go back to Exodus. Go back to Leviticus. Go back to Deuteronomy. Go back to the Old Testament. Start drudging up all those laws. We don't encourage each other by that. How do we encourage one another? We encourage each other to trust Christ. Trust Christ. Look to what Christ did. Christ lived, He died, was buried, was resurrected. Every bit of that was on for you, if you're His. It's for you. And that's enough. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And what does he mean by that? By whom the world is crucified unto me. Well, by the world, he includes everything that I believe is opposite of Christ. He said, by whom, meaning Christ Jesus, the world is crucified unto me. So everything that is against Christ, by him, I am now dead to all those things. Paul was basically saying the same thing that he was saying in Philippians. He said, whenever the Lord revealed himself into me, everything that I did, that I thought I was doing, that I, in this worldly system of things, of religiosity, was doing, I count as loss. It's done. And the only thing that I know is what Christ has done. That's what Paul is saying here. 
He says, I have been crucified unto the world and the way the world preaches that righteousness is obtained. They say the righteousness is obtained by us being obedient to God, by us being obedient to the law, by us doing good things, doing righteous things. That's how we are saved. That's how we are kept saved. They believe that it is a performance thing that we do outwardly. That is the world's way of thinking. Go to every religion. I don't care what name it is. I don't care what leader it has. I don't care how long it's been in existence. Go to every religion and even modern day quote unquote Christianity and you're going to find the same thing. At the heart of every bit of it is number one, free will to choose to do it or not to do it, and number two, that it's based upon your performance, either accepting it, rejecting it, or maintaining an activity within it. And if you don't do that, then you're not saved. If you're not doing that, you're not righteous, you're not holy, you're not good, you're not zen, whatever you are, you're not that because of your performance. Every religion in the world, except for the true religion, the true Christianity, the true uh, uh, gospel that says it's not about you, it's what Christ did. Everything was done by Him and for Him. And that you are the recipient of that, you are blessed and the recipient of what Christ has done. You don't have anything to do about it. It's, you're, it's not subjective. It's objective. And Paul said, God forbid that I should glory saving that. I'm not going to glory in the way the world says that we ought to do religion. I'm not going to glory in those things. I'm going to glory in the cross of Christ. So shouldn't we as preachers of the gospel... Only glory in that which is of Christ and not the law. <clears throat> but yet we are castigated. I've mentioned to you before, a preacher that used to be in uh, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, who was telling people not to come to our church because I was an antinomian, that I preached that we were not under law, that we didn't have to keep the law. And uh, he's right, I do preach that. I don't have a problem being called an antinomian. Depending on what you call an antinomian. But if you mean by antinomian that I'm against the law for righteousness, absolutely I am. I am totally against the law for righteousness. <clears throat> we cannot obtain a righteousness by the law. And Paul said he couldn't. He tried, but he couldn't. What he tried to do, and it was the best of anybody that he knew, and by the word, by the Spirit of God, he wrote down what he wrote down. And so I at least got to think that what what he wrote down was was truth. He said, "Hey, out of all of them, I was blameless. I was the better Pharisee than any Pharisee that was that was there. I did it." And he said, "All that was poop." You think you're any better? You think we're any better? So whenever Paul says by the world here, he means not just the pleasures of the world or the persecutions of the world, although those are going to come. But I believe that what he's talking about here is he's talking about self-righteousness. He says that he is crucified unto me the, the, the way of self-righteousness. I'm dead to self-righteousness. I'm thankful that the Lord has given me and by his grace he continues to keep my mind in this place that 
I'm done with self-righteousness. I'm done with trying to be pleasing to God by a righteousness that I perform in, in this flesh. I'm done doing that because it's, it becomes a burden, a heavy load, a yoke, just as Jesus, just as the apostles, just as everybody has said in the past that this is a burden. It's a yoke that no man can, can, can bear. And so I pray that the Lord continue to give me a mind for that. And I pray that He gives you a mind for that. That you no more will look to self-righteousness. He says, well, why does he say that it's crucified unto me and I crucified unto the world? Well, brethren, if you know anything about crucifixion, crucifixion is a long and grueling death. It's a long and grueling death. Whenever they were nailed to those crosses, they didn't just die immediately. What you've seen with Jesus Christ, with him, the, the time that he hung on the cross, and it was a short period of time considering crucifixions. Uh, you know, that was a, still a long time for some people, I would say, not, well, for anybody, I would say, to hang on the on the cross from the middle of the day till evening time. That's a long time to be on a cross. But a lot of times these people were hung on a cross and they were on there for several days before they died. The only reason the two beside him died quick is because they broke their legs, they couldn't push themselves up, they suffocated to death, and the reason they did that is because the Sabbath was the next day, the high Sabbath was the next day, and they couldn't be on the cross according to Jewish religion. They couldn't be on the cross on the Sabbath. So they had to take them down. So they had to kill them quick. If it wouldn't have been for that, the Romans would have left them on that cross and it would have took days for them to have died of thirst and suffocated themselves to death by pushing themselves up and down, up and down until all kinds of bacteria and crap got in their wounds and all that stuff. I mean, it, it was a slow, agonizing death and it was meant to be such. That's why he uses this word crucifixion. I've been crucified, that it's been, the world's been crucified unto me and I unto the world. This fight with self-righteousness, the flesh and the spirit warring against each other, is also, we use it as a warfare, but he's using it as an illustration by crucifixion. It's a long, agonizing death. We struggle with this our whole entire life. It's a bitter struggle that we have to struggle with of the flesh wanting self-congratulation. We have to deal with our self-corruption. The inner man has to bear with the fact that our outer man is corrupt and will continue to be corrupt until the Lord comes. So it's indeed a death like the cross. So Paul here says, But God forbid that I ever look to that self-righteousness, that I ever look to that uh, ability or that inability of the flesh to perform a righteousness and present that up to either God or my brothers in Christ as something that we should obtain to. But what should we preach to them? We should preach the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. We should preach the fact that He has walked for us, that He has died for us, that everything that God requires in His justice, in His holiness, in His, in His being God that will not uh, let the wicked go, this God who expects holiness and righteousness, that everything that is demanded of God 
was given to you because Jesus Christ did it for you. And to then turn around and to put your hand to it and say, well, I'm going to try to do this so that I can make it pleasing to God so that God will smile on me, bless me, accept me, keep me, not turn away from me, make me a better person or anything like that, is blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. It's blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ that you could provide a holiness equal to or better than his. It's blasphemy against him. So may we be, may we be mindful of those things, brethren, and may we look to Jesus. We preach Jesus and him crucified. Let our gospel be filled with what he did, not what we do. May we count all of our righteousness as filthy rags. May we count all of our religious zeal as dumb and just look to Christ. Preach Christ. Trust Christ for our salvation. And may he give us the Holy Spirit to do so. Anybody have any questions or comments that you'd like to add to this? Father, we thank you today for your wonderful gospel. We thank you for Christ Jesus and the glorious life, death, resurrection, and intercession that he makes now even for us. Father, we thank you for grace, for mercy. We thank you, Father, for all that you have given to us that we do not deserve. Father, we don't know what else to say other than thank you. Lord, I just pray that today that these things that have been said have been pleasing to your uh, to you, and that it has been uh, a uh, the truth as contained in the Word of God. Lord, that if I am in error, that you would convict and to bring me to right thinking on these things. And Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with these brethren and that you would just teach them the truth, confirm the truth to them. Lord, I pray that we might continue here at this church by your grace to defend and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just ask now that you'll be with these brethren as they leave this place. Lord, I ask that you would uh, give them safety and that you would be with them, uh, that you might minister the gospel uh, each and every day to their heart and to their mind. And, Lord, may they may even be a testimony of Christ to those that they're around. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.